Today's episode is a first in Taught by Grace history. It is a question and answers episode. And for that, I have invited Adam Rohr on the podcast to answer these questions that were submitted in by you, the listener. Throughout this episode, we move from theological to practical to personal questions. We get after some hard-hitting topics like contemporary music versus hymns and combating legalism in our hearts. We answer questions about representing Christ in an ungodly work environment, dancing and dating. From music to dating to coffee to golf, we cover about anything and everything in this episode. I hope it'll be an enjoyable and edifying episode for you to listen to. Let's go to the Q&A. Welcome back to the Talk by Grace podcast. I'm your host, Noah Hooper, and today we are doing a Q&A today. We had some questions sent in via Instagram and some other sources that we're going to tackle today, and it's not just going to be me answering the questions today. You hear me talk enough, but today I have with me my good friend, Adam Rohr. Hi, Adam. Hey, Noah. Glad to have you with me. Thank you for joining me on the podcast Glad today. to be here. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So Adam Rohr has been a good friend of mine for probably around eight to ten years now, and and I'm grateful to have him with me on the podcast today. Adam is the youth pastor at Apples Chapel. Can you tell us a little bit about like what you do, Adam? Yeah, so I don't do much. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I am the youth pastor here, so I work with middle schoolers and high schoolers, but also I work with the children's ministry. I am an Ignite, is what we call it, every Sunday morning, and I work with the youth. We go on events and just regular youth group stuff, and it's been a lot of fun. I really love it. How long have you been doing that now? Um, it'll be two years when I became full-time youth pastor in January. All right, that's exciting. So Adam yeah. is a youth pastor, children's pastor. He does it all around Apple's Chapel, and he's also recently married. How's married life? Mm, it's good. It's I actually don't have my wedding ring on right now. I probably wow. should put it back. You should have had that <laughs> sorry, on. Marissa, if you're listening to this, sorry about that, Adam. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, I got married in June, and it was really cool. We went on a cruise, and if you've never been on a cruise, you need to go on a cruise. Okay. It's insane. I'll I'll have to go on one one day. So I've enlisted Adam to help me with this episode and we're going to bounce off each other. We're going to go through these questions. And before we begin, I want to kind of give you a general outline of how we're going to go through this. So we had about around 10 to 15 questions sent in and we may not be able to cover all of them in the episode, but we're going to divide them up into kind of four parts. The first part is going to be kind of theological, biblical questions. Then we're going to transition into some very practical questions. And then Our last two sections are going to be a little bit more fun. We've got some personal, some rapid-fire questions, so I hope you enjoy the episode today. We're going to talk about some very serious things in this episode, and we're also just going to have some fun in this episode, so I hope you enjoy this. If anything, me and Adam are going to have fun recording this episode today, so maybe you can enjoy it listening to us. So, Mm -hmm. you ready to get started, Adam? I am ready. Let's start with the very first question sent in to us by Noah Robinson. I love that guy. He just said, yeah, he's recently married, too. So Noah Robinson sent in this question. He said, contemporary music versus hymns. And I want to also bring in like Southern gospel, gospel. We'll throw in all the music. So Adam, this is an open question. But before we answer the question, I want to just kind of show what our church background is. So what would you, how would you describe your church's like worship, I guess? Like what is your style? Because we're different in this. So what would you say your style is? So Apple's Chapel, they have a variety. So we actually do two services. We have our nine o'clock service. That's more of the modern. So we'll we'll be singing the Phil Wickham, the uh, Maverick City Elevation, (laughs) Evolution, (laughs) Elevation. So that's more modern contemporary songs, which I love. I mean, I play I play bass in the band, and Nathan Huffines he leads that most Sundays, and it's really cool to see. And I really love that part. But then in our ten thirty service, 
we have some modern contemporary songs, but we usually do hymns during that. And that's when I'm doing the children's ministry, so I don't really get to hear that side of it. But yeah, that's that's pretty much our church's style of music. So we kind of have both. Yeah. In a sense. And for me, I go to McLeansville Baptist Church, and our church is definitely very, very traditional. We sung hymns, we sing songs like that, we have a piano, we have a guitar. Now, we do use soundtracks, so you do have drums mixed in there, but right. we have very traditional background here. So we have some different perspective on this. So we're just going to throw it out there. So what contemporary music versus hymns, just give us some <laughs> thoughts on that, Adam. Where do you want to start at? I mean, personally... I would say that I'm I lean more towards contemporary music. Mm-hmm. It's just but I don't have anything against yeah. traditional music. I mean, I used to go to McLeansville yeah. and then I went to Bethel Baptist. So I grew up where it was only traditional. Yeah. You love some old southern gospel. Oh, I do. Like when we had quartets come in and those like men singers, I mean, I loved that. So that was super duper fun. I mean, I don't have anything against mm-hmm. hymns or traditional types of music. So I'm I'm kind of a lover of both. Yeah. Um. I think for me, when I if I'm just in the car listening, I'll probably just turn on some contemporary. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I think that it's important to point out that like both have strengths and both have weaknesses. Right. On both yeah, sides. Definitely. Like I listen to both kinds of music, and there are some contemporary music songs that are very very good. Oh, and there yeah. are Some that are not very good. Not very good and not focused on Jesus at all. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that's just, really the yeah. heart of the question. I think we need to get to here is like, music absolutely does matter. And oh yeah. The what we sing and how we sing it does matter. I know this question may be getting more at the style of our music, and I think you can go different ways with that. I know I don't have all that figured out, but I think the main thing that when it comes to our music, whether it's personal or whether it's in church, it's about the content of the music. Right, absolutely. It's about what we're singing about, because if a song makes us feel good, whether it is a song that has drums and all of that, or (laughs) if it's a song that is an old Southern gospel song from the 80s, if it just makes us feel good, but it doesn't point us to Christ and direct right. our attention to the Word, then it's not really <clears throat> worth anything. What, I mean, you got any more thoughts on that? No, I, I definitely agree. I think in some of the songs that people come out with, they, like you said, they don't point towards Jesus. And I think that's that's where I kind of draw the line. Like, it makes, it has a good beat, it has a good rhythm, but if it doesn't point back to God, then you're you kind of you're kind of stuck. Mm-hmm. So I think, like you said, there's nothing there can be stuff wrong, but there's also a lot of good contemporary songs and there's a lot of good hymns. Yeah, and it's so. important to point out that at one point, all hymns were contemporary. Exactly. There was a yeah. point in time when Amazing Grace was a modern song because the word contemporary, it means modern. It's, now, I know, yeah. yeah, I know that CCM is like, well, you can say that's a specific section. I understand there's a difference with that versus hymns, but every song has been brand new at some right. point. Like and when our, I'm 80 years old, Graves in the Gardens is going to be... It's going to be an old song by <laughs> it's then. It's going to be a really traditional song. <laughs> an old song right there. So I think with that question, we can kind of summarize by saying that both have value, both are good, yeah. and and I think the important thing is with our music, you need to use discernment about what you're listening to because we know the difference between a song that we're listening to because it makes us feel good, and right. those songs are good at times. Like It's yeah, good to absolutely. listen to a song that just makes you feel good. And When it comes to this, be sure to look for songs that point you to Jesus Christ. Next question... My friend Benjamin May sent in this question. He said, what is the best definition of worldliness? So let's start off by defining what the world is because the Bible clearly teaches us that the world, in the sense of what he's asking, is like a bad thing. Now, there are multiple ways you can view the world. There is the world of creation. Very, very good. God created the world, and it was good. There's the world of people. People, we don't, we're not supposed to hate the world or anything right. like that in regards to people. So when we hear about worldliness because we know that First John tells us to love not the world, that's talking about the system of this world, the way 
I think it's good, best defined as life with God left out of it. So he asked, what is the best definition of worldliness? So what would you say to that, Adam? How would you define, now that we better know kind of what, what the world is? Right. So with worldliness, I think we have to look at kind of what Jesus did on the earth. So I think that Jesus was a friend of sinners. Yes. And I think that we should be. But there has to be an extent to where you're not doing the same things. I don't think Jesus ever did the same things that the sinners were doing. So, yeah, I think that's a good point in how Jesus kind of models how we can interact with the world. Because the problem with the world, it's not the people that are necessarily in the world. We're not to avoid the people like Adam just pointed right, out. Yeah. We are, in fact, I mean, the whole point of being Christian is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when it comes to worldliness, it's a, it's about the system of this world that calls us away from God. So worldliness, I think you can define it as anything that draws you away from God and from who he is and tries to pull mm. you into something sinful because worldliness is ultimately sinfulness. Yeah. Worldliness is not necessarily because you'll hear it defined as it's about what you wear. It's about what music you listen to. It's about all about external things, but worldliness yeah. is not primarily external. It's primarily internal. It's mm -hmm. about what's pointing us to God or what's pointing us to this life. It's about what's on the inside, like your heart and what motive you have to do things. I, I think like, like you kind of said, um, with hanging out with people of the world and it's not about doing the things that they're doing, but and loving them in that. I think about Romans 12 verse two, where it says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I think a good definition of worldliness is it shapes how we think and it teaches us to think in a way that is contrary to who God is and what his word says. So then we need an antidote to worldliness. So the antidote to worldliness is to be somebody whose mind is shaped by the word of God. Right. And if you are being transformed by the word of God, then you can, as Adam has pointed out, you can interact with sinners because you have to interact with sinners. You're not just going to interact with Christians. And you can also remain truly holy before God because we are to be a holy people. We are to be a peculiar, a distinct people, even though we're not necessarily to be weird people. <laughs> we're to be distinct like that. So I think it goes back to how we think and Worldliness transforms how we think to think unlike God and his word and to think like the world thinks. Do you have anything else to add with that? No, I think like you said, like you're going to come in contact. I mean, we're sinners. Mm -hmm. yes, we're we are. we're yeah. saved and we're seen as innocent, but you're going to come in contact with people of this world wherever you go. If you go to a public school, mm -hmm. if you go to a sec secular college, if you go work somewhere, you're going to find people that are of this world. And I think a good way to kind of be that light and to be different, you might look weird. <laughs> it is not You're going common. to look weird. Even yeah. though you should, it shouldn't be your goal to be weird. The right. truth is you're going to look weird. You're going to look okay. weird because you're the only person that's not doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Like for me, when I worked at Coldstone Creamery, shout out Coldstone, I was the only person in that establishment, besides Marissa, that did not curse. Yeah. And people would ask me all the time, hey man, you don't, you don't use the same language that we do. And I was like, yeah, I just don't do that. And they could spot the difference. And I think that's a good way by your actions and by what you say and do. So yeah. I think that's a good thing. That is true. And I, I love that you pointed that out because that points me to a question that we were going to ask later in the episode, but you just started to answer that a little bit now. This was sent in by Gavin Pleasant. He said, how do you represent Christ in an ungodly work environment? Because mm. you just described working in a place that was very worldly. Right. And it was worldly because... They cursed all the time. They, <laughs> yeah. They, I'm sure they talked about things that were very sinful. And 
you may have this experience in your work environment as well. So how do we represent Christ in an ungodly work environment? Yeah, that's a really good question because like I said, I've been around that. So I have worked in places like that and you're just there to shine Jesus light. I think mm-hmm. when you work at those places and you have those people around you, I think that you're there for a reason. Absolutely. So I, I don't think that you should leave and maybe become a youth pastor like me and you're not, <laughs> but no, even as a youth pastor, I'm still around people in my life where it's worldliness, maybe not where I work, but so how do you represent Christ in an ungodly work environment? Just be the light of Jesus. Amen. Just be the light of Jesus. Yeah. Do your job good. <laughs> I know peace, most people that are not That's Christians are not going to do their That's job good. good. So do your job good. And I know we're talking about this right now in, in church and being unashamed of the gospel, going out and maybe starting a conversation with one of those coworkers that you work with and share the good news of Jesus with them. I know Dave has told story after story about how he's been with super intellectual people and he's asked them, I mean, a, a good starter that he gave is just ask them, do you know what I mean by when I say the gospel? And if they say no, mm. hey, you just share the good news and share the gospel, what that means with them. So I think that's a good start, just being different. Yeah, that's very. That's a very, very good question. I love that you pointed out. I think the foundation of it is what you pointed out first, and it's like, do your work well. Yeah. Like, that is going to testify to Christ as much as anything. You are to be a good worker. Yeah. And also— if you live, like we just talked about with worldliness, if you live in a way that is in accordance with God's word and you live for the glory of God on your job, you're automatically going to be representing Christ because you are going to be different than the people you work with. Right. And the good news is, is that you can represent Christ and you may feel like a lot of pressure that I need to just tell, I need to go into work and tell them about Jesus today. <laughs> and you feel like a failure if you don't tell them about Jesus on right. that very day. Mm-hmm. The truth is you may not have an opportunity to audibly share the gospel with somebody every day. But if you do, then share the gospel. Right. But I love what Kevin DeYoung said in his book, Impossible Christianity, when he pointed out, he said, all Christians are happy to tell you about Jesus, but not all Christians are salespeople. Mm. Not everyone is very good at just like starting a conversation with, even though Adam has just pointed out a good way to start a conversation. So take a little bit of the pressure off yourself that you have to be the savior of everybody at your work right. and live for the glory of God, do your job well, Represent Christ well in how you speak and how you interact with everybody because everybody talks about how bad everybody is. <laughs> yeah. Everybody talks about how bad they do at their job and how bad they right. do at their job. You're going to stand out if you don't do that. Be that guy that doesn't talk bad about that everybody. doesn't complain. Be somebody who, when you do your job, even though you get tired sometimes, you may say, man, I'm really tired today or whatever. Be the kind of person that says, you know what? I'm going to go in today and I'm going to glorify God and I'm not going to complain about this and that and the other and how bad my boss is, but I'm going to seek to represent Christ well in that. And then when you do have an opportunity to share Christ and when you someone does talk about uh, something that you can bring Christ in the conversation mm-hmm. because you need to look for those opportunities, then because you have lived out the gospel before them, you're going to have a better chance to share the gospel with oh, them yeah. because you've represented that before them. So... Moving from an ungodly work environment, now we're going to transition back to the church and our own heart. And this question was also sent in by Benjamin May, and he asked, what is the best way to combat tradition, legalism in the church and in my own heart? Now, before we answer, what is legalism? Legalism fundamentally is, most in its most basic definition, is what Paul talks about in Galatians. It is about adding works to salvation. It is 
mm. saying that by the works of the law, a man can be saved. But there right. also is a legalism that comes into in our lives as Christians when you're saved, you know you're right with God, but then there's this expectation that is put on you from outside the Word of God that says you need to do this and do this and do this to be accepted before God. And you know you're accepted before God in Christ, but yet you still feel like God is a Father in Heaven who looks at you and says, ah, I don't really like you that much right. unless you do this. So this is something that doesn't stop at salvation. You mm -hmm. can believe in salvation by grace alone and still be a legalist in the heart as a believer. Yeah. That's just how it is sometimes. So, I mean, you... The Pharisees, I mean, yeah. they had they added own rules yeah, exactly. to what they had. I mean, exactly. So, what is the best way to combat it, Adam? What are your thoughts on this? So, I think in every church that you go to, they're going to have traditions, and there's going to be legalism. One thing that I actually just listened to recently, this guy was actually kind of talking about traditions, and traditions are not always a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Traditions are not always a bad thing. But I think when you take your traditions and you hold them above what God is telling us in the Bible, then that is where it gets scary. Because you're doing things that are not in the Bible, and you're judging people in your church based on your traditions and based on your legalism in your own heart. One thing that you can combat that is to know how you look to Christ. I know for me, when I was growing up, and still sometimes today, when I would look at myself, I would see not a good thing. Um, I know it took a little bit of time and uh, prayer and a lot of stuff and a lot of talking to people in my church um, to un fully understand that the way that I look at myself is not the way that God looks at me. Mm -hmm. So how you combat that is you just have to understand how God looks at you. And sees you as, as his chi uh, child of God. So I think that's a that's a yeah. good starting point. Look yeah. at yourself the way that God sees yeah. you. Beholding your own life in light of who Christ is and what Christ has done for you. Yeah. When you see your position in Christ, that will automatically demolish a lot mm -hmm. of legalism. Because the truth is, we are all naturally legalist in our hearts. Yeah, we want to do something to please God in the sense of for God to be satisfied with us right. and for us to look at us and give us a thumbs up and say, all right, you're good before me. The truth is we're already accepted in Christ. We're accepted in the beloved. That's what Ephesians tells us. And we need to set ourselves every day in light of who we are before Christ. I think a lot about what Jerry Bridges talked about in his book, The Discipline of Grace, when he said that many Christians live with a good day versus bad day mentality. Mm -hmm. And they say, okay, I went to church today. I shared the gospel with somebody today. Today was a good day. Therefore, God is happy with me. Right. And then yeah. if they, the next day, they went to work, they didn't do what they were supposed to do. They did a horrible job. They talked about their other employees. They got mad. They got upset. They went home. They kicked the dog. They cursed his <laughs> wife. And it was a bad day. So he looks right. at himself. He says, I am an awful person before God now. It's a good day versus a bad day mentality. That's not the mentality we need to have. Now, yes, we do need to repent when we do things like that and confess our sins, of course. Right, kicking the dog is never good. No, or cursing your wife. None yeah, of that is that. good. Yeah. No, none of that is good. <laughs> That's not good. It's not good. <laughs> but anyways, we need to always set the way we live in light of who we are in Christ. So the best way to combat it is to make much of Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's really the heart of the matter, is if you make much of Jesus, you're not going to have room for legalism. Let's talk about tradition for a little bit. As Adam said, that traditions are and can be a good thing, but when traditions get elevated above the Word of God, it becomes a big mm -hmm. problem. It's like what the Pharisees did. It's exactly what the Pharisees did. When Jesus said in Mark 7, when they're, the Pharisees are talking about washing, eating bread with unwashed hands and how that was a horrible, bad thing to do, Jesus said, for laying aside the commandment of God in Mark 7, verse 8, he hold the tradition of men 
as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God that ye may keep your hmm. own tradition. They yeah. put tradition above the word right. of God. So when it comes to tra traditions, we can say this is good or whatever, but we must always set it underneath the word of God. And if right. God's word says something about the matter that overrides tradition, we need to let tradition go. We need to let it go. Yeah. Like the song. Just let it go. <laughs> you just need to be like Elsa and just let it <laughs> Let it go, go. guys. If, it, if it's a matter of glorifying God or holding on to something you've held on to forever and ever, you need to lay it aside yeah. and follow the commandment of God. Because, by the way, it's all we need. The Word of God is enough for us. So, so on the matter of the heart, Abby Wilson sent in a question that said, how do you love up to your God-given potential? Now, this is an interesting mm, question. So what do you think that. about that, Adam? Well, first of all, shout out Abby and Josh. I love you both. How to love up to God-given potential. For me, I love to love people. I love people. Yeah. And I think that God wants us to love God, love people. That's the, heart, so, that's the heart of the law. Love God, right, love your neighbor. Exactly. And that's not just loving people. I mean, it's loving the earth that he's given us. It's loving everything that God has blessed us with. So I think it's just through obedience mm -hmm. and just obeying God and what he does. A little while ago, I had like a struggle of complaining a lot. So one thing that I did, I took out my notebook and I wrote down everything that I loved and everything that I was grateful for. And it's almost like those complaints just kind of dissolved. Mm. So I think that would be a good thing for you to do if you have a struggle with like complaining. Like Adam said, it's about obedience. And as, I mean, Jesus said in John 15, if you love me, keep my right. commandments. So mm -hmm. that's the key. Love is not merely a feeling, though love is an emotion. Love is a feeling. And you should right. love from the heart like that. Love is about obedience so like like adam said finding some practical ways like that to grow in love i think that's a good illustration i have one more thing yes i think a good encouragement for how for why you should love is and i'm actually kind of maybe skip down a little bit yeah. to the personal questions mm -hmm. it's my favorite uh bible verse or wait that's favorite person in you can the, say it favorite bible verse favorite bible verse um it's john 13 and 34 and 35 it says a new commandment i give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, and this is the cool part, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So I think that's something you can use this verse to back up why you love. And I think that's one thing that, that God loves is that you love people. And, and that's another thing that can go up in Gavin's question and how you can stand out in a, in a workplace. You just love one another. And it goes back to what we were talking about with the, the tradition and legalism thing. You will better love people when it, you set it against who Jesus is. And mm -hmm. like John 13 talking about loving others as Christ has loved us. Yeah. When we behold his love for us in the cross and how he lived for us, how he died for us, how he rose for us, and how he still loves us, how he yeah. still cares for us, then you're going to better love up to your God-given potential because you're going to be beholding the one who is love incarnate. Mm -hmm. So look to Jesus and then by looking to Jesus, then live in obedience to Jesus. And yeah. that's going to be, if you are if you live that life where you're living every day looking to Jesus and then you're living every day to live in obedience to Jesus, you're going to love to your God-given potential. Potential. Okay, now let's get into a fun question. Potentially oh, yeah. controversial depending on what circles you may run in. Adam uh -oh. from Benjamin May again. Shout out Benjamin. He's throwing in a lot of questions. Yeah, he is. Is dancing a sin? Yes. No. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's not a sin. So that is the easy answer that no, it is not a sin. Yeah, we're but, done with that. Okay. But <laughs> no. can, can can dancing be sinful? 
Yeah, I think it's a pretty broad question. Yes, it's very <laughs> much. Seen a sense. It's, yes it's, and no. Yeah, it's, it's really a yes and no question because, shocker, right. there is dancing in the Bible. What's Lots of it. dancing in the Bible, Adam? I mean, you wrote down some. It's, what is it, Second Samuel yep. six, 16? We just talked about this in our children's ministry. Mm-hmm. David, when the ark was finally coming back, David danced before the i mean david was just dancing mm-hmm. he was dancing so much he danced as hard as he could he and it was the Lord. it's a pretty cool story now that kind of dancing is not a was not a seductive it's not a provocative <laughs> right. kind of dancing now that kind of dancing that's sinful like right if it's, yeah if it's like that but when you see people dance in the bible in fact in ecclesiastes solomon said there is a time to dance now what is dancing normally like associated with when do people dance adam we danced recently when did we, we dance? danced recently in june didn't not we? me and adam just no <laughs> everybody <laughs> we danced at my wedding yeah exactly people dance at times of rejoicing yeah. david danced because the ark of the lord was back so it was a time of gladness and rejoicing now that there are also scenes in the bible where there is some like sinful dancing for instance right. israel at mount sinai when they are dancing before an idol, before the mm-hmm. golden calf. That was not good dancing because they weren't worshiping God. Then in First Samuel 30, it describes, I believe, how the Philistines were dancing after they had conquered Israel, and they were reveling. They weren't dancing to worship God. They were dancing right. because of the victory they had won. And then Mark, Matthew 14, it's a really sad scene when Herod's daughter, I think it's his daughter, dances to kind of seduce those men and to get him to give whatever she wants. Like, that's mm. not a good kind of dancing. It's not a good kind. So there's... Of both and here that dancing is not in and of itself sinful. Well, and the difference is, I think, whether or not you're doing it out of a response, really, to what the Lord has done. When yeah. people dance at weddings, they're rejoicing because right. it's a very good He's thing. He's brought these two people together. Yeah. Exactly. That's a time of rejoicing. So, yes and no. Dancing is not and good can question. be yeah. a sin. That's an interesting question. question. And I think they can open up some more questions for us. We just talked about weddings and my good friend Gavin Pleasant sent in this question. By the way, he's single, ladies, if you're looking for somebody. <laughs> Did he consent to this? <laughs> he did by sending it in. <laughs> how do you deal with the discouragement of dating? Better, I think he's asking is, how do you deal with the discouragement of not dating or when there is disappointment in dating? So oh, yeah. Adam is a pastor. <laughs> Adam's been, how long did you and Marissa date before you got married? We dated four years. Adam has experience dating. He's now a married man. And he's been a youth pastor for a little while, so he's dealt with some of these questions before. So how would you say you deal with the discouragement of dating? We recently in youth group talked about dating. We talked about marriage. And that might sound kind of weird because I'm dealing with middle schoolers. And, but no, when, when, dating, when you're talking about dating, you first need to understand the definition of marriage. But also we talked about singleness. We talked about how do you find the right person. We actually answered that question, how do I find the right person? First have to ask the question, how do I become the right person. So I think there's a lot that goes into dating. I think that singleness is a blessing and it's a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul says First it. Corinthians <laughs> yeah. 7, is that right? Uh, I'm not totally sure, but I know Paul says that it's a gift. And I actually said in our, in my sermon, if you think it's a gift, like, did you keep the gift receipt? Like, cause I don't, I don't want this gift. Oh my, <laughs> saying, no, yeah, I know. But um, we talked about singleness and I think there's a, there's a good, part of being single you can work on yourself and you can work on your relationship with god i think there can be a lot of discouragement in dating but how do you deal with that it goes back to what the disciples did and and what paul did and everything that they went through in discouragement i mean paul went through a lot of discouragement i mean he was shipwrecked he was beaten with rods Mm -hmm. what they did is that they keep they kept their eyes focused on jesus and i think if 
you're in that time of life where you feel like, man, I should really be focusing on getting married soon. Everyone around me is getting married and you're only focusing on that, then that's when you're going to have discouragement. So if you find that space in your heart where you can solely focus your eyes on Jesus, then I think that discouragement is going to slowly go away. It's going to take time, but it's going to go away, and there are going to be discouragements in the future. I hate to tell you that, everyone listening, but there are going to be discouragements in the future. I think there are two things I'd like to point out here that helps with the discouragement of dating because I am not married like Adam is. I'm a single man. And I think it's important, first of all, to remember that God is sovereign. Yeah. He is in control of where you are at in your life. When we talk about our favorite Bible characters in a minute, I'm going to mention somebody who embraced the sovereignty of God in very real and important ways. But it's important to remember that God is sovereign. If you are mm-hmm. single and you are living for the glory of God, you've got to remember He's in control. You are not right. in the season of life that you are in by accident. You're not there just because it happened. God is sovereign. He's in control, He know, and He knows what He's doing. He's going to work it all for good. In fact, more than likely for most people who listen to this, you're probably not going to be single forever. Right. And you're going to look back in a few years, and you're going to be like, oh, I see why God did that. I right. see why that worked out. We don't see it in advance. We see mm-hmm. it in reverse. The second thing, we talked about singleness can be a gift from God, and we see that in 1 Corinthians 7. Paul talks about how those who are single— actually have more liberty to serve Christ than those who are married in some ways. Now, right. to serve and to have a wife, the Bible says it's a very good thing to right. find a wife. Isn't it a very good thing to it's find a wife? It's a very good thing. It's a very good thing. And there are things that Adam and Marissa can do as a married couple that I cannot do as a single man. They can minister in more full ways like that. Mm-hmm. But Paul also points out that when you are single, when you do have received, and by the way, he says it's a gift from God. That means God put you in that season like I just talked about. Right. You have more liberty to maybe go on missions trips and maybe serve in ways that you couldn't serve just because you become one flesh with a person. You're obligated to that person. Mm-hmm. It's a very good thing. So while you're in this season of singleness, I love what Johnny Artavana said. He said, leverage your singleness. Use this season of singleness as much as you can for the glory of God. Instead of being focused on, why don't I have a girlfriend? Why right. don't I have a wife yet? Why don't I have a boyfriend? Why don't I have a husband yet? Focus on using this season as much as you can for the glory of God. And at the end of the day, you're probably going to bump into the person you need to be with anyway. Yeah, I love that. I kind of use something pretty similar in our dating series. I feel like when people are single, they have this tunnel and they're looking at the end of the tunnel. And the final goal is to be dating someone. And that's not the goal. I think when we ask the question again, how do I find the right person to date? The answer is walking towards Jesus. And kind of like what you said When you're walking towards Jesus and you're focused on him, he is going to bring someone right up beside you. And then together, you both can walk towards the goal of Jesus, walking towards Jesus. That's very good. So focus on Jesus. Remember God is sovereign and use your singleness as a gift from God for the glory of God. So now Mm -hmm. we're going to transition from some theological and practical questions. And now we're going to get into some personal questions. This is our first personal question. It comes from Addison Wyrick. Shout out, Addison. And she said, in her own words, who is your favorite person besides God in the Bible, and why do you like them? Who would you like to say, Adam, there? Would you want me to start? Uh, No, I can go. Okay, go for it. Who is my favorite person in the Bible? I think my favorite—man, I have so many. I really— You want me to start? No, no, no. Oh, you're talking. I'm I'm good. I'm good. (laughs) My favorite character is Joseph. Love— that's who I was going to say. <laughs> That's why I wanted to go first. Dad, <laughs> burn it. Okay, keep going. So, Joseph. Joseph is my favorite Bible character. <laughs> Joseph is my favorite Bible character. And I think, why do I like him? Because I think that I can relate to Joseph a little bit. Joseph was the younger brother. 
and he was the favorite, like me and yes. my family. <laughs> yes. So I was that guy. I was the guy that would annoy my brothers to death, even though he didn't even do anything wrong. I did stuff wrong, but I can relate to Joseph. Um, and I love his faith, man. I to be able to have the gift to interpret dreams, that would be so cool to do. Um, I think Joseph had so much faith that I want to have to be able to trust God through your brothers selling you into slavery. And then you sitting in prison for as long as he did and still have faith that God is going to do something with this in my life. I know there may have been some points in his life where he was just thought he was going to rot in this prison, Mm -hmm. but he, he, he still had faith. I know if I were to be sitting in that prison, I thought I would be thinking I'm never getting out of here. But Joseph, he had faith. And that's something that I long for, to have that kind of faith. Do you have anything to add yeah, about my character? Very good. Adam my stole character? my favorite person. It's his character. No one else can have it, but I'm taking him too. So my favorite person in the Bible. Now, if you ask me this a year from now, it may be a different question, but right now it is Joseph. And I am just captivated by Joseph in the mm. Bible. He is such an intriguing character. He stands out in the biblical narrative, like especially when you're reading in Genesis and how you have Abraham, you have Isaac, you have Noah, you have all these people. And then Joseph comes along, and he's really the first person in the biblical narrative that has no great fall. Like you Mm -hmm. find in Adam in Genesis 3, he fell. He listened to Eve, and he fell. Noah got drunk. Abraham listened to Sarah and had a child with Hagar, and he sinned, and he fell. Mm -hmm. But when Joseph comes along, he doesn't. doesn't, When Potiphar's wife tempts him, he puts on his running shoes, and he gets out of there. Yeah. And I love how Joseph had this steadfast faith in God in everything that he faced. And also, I'm captivated by his wisdom. Like, mm-hmm. it's amazing to see, especially when he gets elevated to second in command in Egypt. Man, and he, he runs. leads them through a famine. I know. Shows them how to lead, shows them how to get through the famine. And then also, you see his just cunningness in when he brings his family back to Egypt and how he gets them in the land of Goshen in a place mm-hmm. where it would have been perfect for them to be shepherds and all that. This man was a wise man. And it's, oh, yeah. Like Adam's talking about, I want to be like Joseph. I There's too. anybody in the Old Testament you want to be like, you want to be like Joseph. And then, right. Also, the thing that most stands out about his life is his steadfast confidence and trust in God. Mm-hmm. Because he, like we talked about God's Man. sovereignty here. Joseph is, is the biggest picture of God's sovereignty in the entire Bible. And how he could say at the end of everything he went through, you meant it for evil, but God meant it good. Yeah. And if you live your life trusting that, it doesn't matter what you face. If you believe that God is in control of everything and he works everything for good, that changes how you live every day of our life. It gives you confidence and assurance. So I love Joseph. I did too. He's such a great character. We couldn't think of two favorite people in the Bible. He's got one. <laughs> I think a good runner up for me would be Moses. Yeah. I really love Moses. I mean, I, I can relate to him. I, I just love characters that I can relate to. Exactly. <laughs> Moses, I mean, he did not think that he was good for anything. No. Just like me, like I've, I've preached a few sermons about Moses, just how he didn't let his failures be the end of him. So I really like Moses too. Yeah. That could be a good runner-up. Yeah, Moses is a great runner-up. There's a lot of great characters in the Bible. Obviously, the Bible's a very big book, but we've got Joseph and Moses as our favorite person in the Bible. And now, let's get to an even more personal question. This was sent in by Adam's wife, Marissa. Actually, we've got a few sent in by Marissa, and we're going to finish with a few Oh, yeah. What is your why for ministry? I really like that question because I think my why for ministry— If you would have asked me 10 years ago, or even, I don't know, seven years ago, when I was in high school, I never even imagined myself being a youth pastor. I I think most people's stories are pretty similar, but I had a youth pastor, Pastor Billy, shout out Mm -hmm. if you're listening to this, Pastor Billy Smith. I loved hanging out with my youth pastor. 
I loved when he came to my soccer games, my baseball games, my basketball games. He was always a good figure there for me. And he did a lot for me and he taught me a lot of things. And what is your why for ministry? Man, I love relationships. I love hanging out with middle schoolers. I love hanging out with high schoolers, going and doing stuff with them, making those relationships with people, having those deep conversations with people. I just love people. I love hanging yeah. out, talking, and I love relationships. I think that's one of my spiritual gifts that God has given me to build relationships. I not would with... very much testify to that. He's <laughs> one of the best people I know. That's like what is, it's one of the best people to be around. So I, I can very much testify to that. Yeah, not just with young people. I I love connecting with the older generation yeah. of the church and talking to them and learning from them. So I think that's pretty much my why for ministry. And it's just like you get to hang out at the church all the time, and you get to you get to be a youth pastor for your job. I think that's like on the top of the list of best jobs in the world. I I love being that's a youth awesome. pastor. You were made yeah. to be. You were really think, made to be. You were made. <laughs> I, I guess to be so. A youth pastor. And I guess so. So mine is going to be like a little bit different. I think back to when I sensed the Lord was calling me into ministry. He really put on my heart when Paul talks about how necessity was laid upon him to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what really compelled me, what really confirmed the call in my life that this is the only thing I can do. Mm. And in fact, it's the only thing I want to do. Right. I do many different things. I mean, I work at a golf course. I do different things in my life, but there's really only one thing on this earth that I'm like, I need to do this. My why for ministry is I love seeing who God is in the word, seeing who Christ is, seeing mm how this passage points us to Jesus and how this passage tells us about the glory of God and how it shows us how to live and then telling somebody else about that and explaining the word of God and applying the word of God. That's my why. I love doing that. There's nothing that excites me more than when I am studying at a coffee shop, I'm studying in my room, I'm trying to figure out this text, then the Lord sends a light bulb moment and it clicks. <laughs> That's pretty it's cool. Like, I know this and it, it's like, I can't wait to tell somebody about this. And then <laughs> Maybe seeing somebody say, you know what, I saw that in that text. Yeah. It's, and my why is ultimately going to reach to people as well. They're slightly different. I want people to know what God's word says and what it means. I want yeah. them to better understand it. Like eventually one day I want to be a pastor and I want to just preach the word of God and tell them this is who God is and let them see how their eyes become open to the glory of God because there's nothing better. So that's a good question. That's great. a very great wow. question. Amazing really. question. It's an amazing, amazing question. Now we're going to transition to, we're moving more towards the end of this Q&A now. We're going to get some rapid fire questions in here. One of these may not be as rapid fire, but Adam, this mm -hmm. was also sent in by your wife. <laughs> what is your go-to coffee order? So Marissa, she works in a coffee shop. She loves coffee. And I know you love coffee. I love coffee. I don't love coffee. And I'm sorry for that. But if I had to pick my it off right there, <laughs> if I had to pick my go-to coffee order, I'm gonna say a drip coffee. I know that term, drip coffee. I don't know what kind of roast. Folgers. If you have Folgers, I love Folgers. Throw a little bit of sugar in there, maybe two um, tablespoons, yeah, and then yeah, look like milk love sugar, and then put milk in it. Exactly. Yeah, put a little dabble of milk in there, and that's my favorite coffee. Wow, I am on the other end of the spectrum. I love coffee and I drink coffee a lot and I love just straight up light roast black coffee. Light roast has become my favorite roast in recent days and I love getting some light roast. I've also gotten onto a little bit kick recently of getting some cappuccinos. What is your favorite brand of water? This was sent in by Benjamin. What a great question. <laughs> this is the hard hitting stuff we need. Favorite brand of water? What is this? I'm drinking water right now. Pure life. Pure life. I don't know if I have a favorite. Just food line, the cheapest. Just the cheapest water. <laughs> yeah. you could, that's the sound of a very, very freshly oh. married man. 
Hang on a second. I think I have a good answer for this. So favorite brand of water. It's not any specific type of water bottle, but I add in these little Propel. Have you ever heard of Propel? Yes, I the have. I've Propel seen water. On the golf course. Propel water is so good. I hate drinking water, but Propel saved my life. So, so his favorite <laughs> brand of water is not actually water. It is water with sugary substance mis- mixed in it. It's so, zero sugar. Okay, well, fake sugary fake substance. Fake sugar. Then. Yeah. yeah, it's his favorite Get brand right. of water. <laughs> okay. Propel water. That's my favorite. I love Kiwi strawberry. Stra- that's that's it. If you want some cinnamon, he'll he'll gladly drink that. Absolutely. Or send it. You can send it Apple's Chapel. He'll yeah. So I don't think I don't know if I have a favorite brand of water. I do love if I like if I just need to pick water. I love Evian water. That's some good water. Okay. I don't even know how to how you're gonna answer this question, but this was also sent in by Marissa. <laughs> what is your favorite thing about each other? Now, if you've made it this far in the episode, you finally get to hear us talk more about ourselves. Yeah. So what is your favorite thing about me? That's weird to say. <laughs> I'm gonna say what is my favorite thing about Adam. Hmm. My favorite thing about Adam is if I need somebody to be around where I know I'm gonna feel better and have fun <laughs> and need somebody to encourage me. Adam is that person. Adam is the kind of friend, you know, you hear about friends that you don't have to be around them every day, but whenever you can be apart for a couple of years, <laughs> a couple of months, and then when you're back around, it feels right. like you never left. That is who Adam Dang. is to me. And my favorite thing about him is his heart for people. Like he's already talked about in this episode, how much he loves the kids here. This man has a great heart and I'm glad, I'm glad he's my friend. So well, thank you. I appreciate that. That was actually one thing that I was going to say. Like, I could not see Noah for three years. <laughs> and then we're like, hey, you want to play golf? And then it's just like, we're back. Exactly. And that's so accurate. That's one of my favorite things. It's tough to follow that. You gave me such a good compliment. Yeah, that's good. You can leave it there. You don't have to. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, one of my favorite things about Noah is his, how intellectual he is. Oh. Noah loves to read, don't you? Yeah, I do. He, he loves to read. Enough. Funny thing about me, I don't love to read. So one thing that I admire about Noah is his love for reading because I wish I had that (laughs) because I do not like reading. If you noticed in a bunch of the theological questions, it was mainly Noah answering the in-depth one because he's so much smarter and he reads so much more. And I I know I could get there if I read more, (laughs) but yeah, that's probably my favorite thing about, you know. So let's finish. Question was sent in by, who was it, Adam? Isaac Allred. What did he ask us? He asked us, who's the better golfer? Who is that, Adam? If I had to answer... It depends on how you define better. It, like, yeah, what, it does. What are, what are we better at? Are we better at driving a car? Are we better at I'm definitely better on the golf course? Are we better at playing right. golf? Are we better so, at working on a golf course? What, what, we needed to define this. My camera work is definitely better. It's fire. <laughs> he's, he's recorded almost like five different hole-in-ones that have been nowhere near the hole of mine. So. True. But they look really cool on camera. Yes, they do. Yeah. I'm better at being passionate. Yeah, you're definitely more. I'm, I'm like reaching the stage in golf where I'm just kind of like over golf and I need to like, I need a break. It's like, we've been together too long. Like we need to be apart from each other for I'm a little bit. I'm better at loving golf. Yes. Adam definitely loves golf more than I do. I love do. golf so much. Who's better at throwing clubs? I don't know. Who could throw it the furthest you think? How far can you throw a club? I don't know. Depends normally, on the club. Normally. Yeah, that's true. I feel like Adam's throws are like more majestic. Mine are just like straight up brute force. Anger. Just like, <laughs> oh man. And then you throw it in the ground. So yeah, I'm more of a chucker. And I've I've no, I've noticed in my eight iron it more it has a little bit of a bend now because it's, it's more out of fun because it's like I didn't hit a good shot so I want to have fun so I just chuck it yeah as far as I can exactly that's the way to do it now actual golfer who's the better golfer here I think I've oh, got definitely you I've got I've got Adam in golf right now but I have a yeah. feeling over the next couple of years Adam's probably gonna get by me or I get, don't know about that get about even just because my maybe love. even. 
Maybe if you stop playing, I need like I need to like pick it up if I'm gonna keep up with Adam. If I like quit golf, he's gonna be past me. Before if Noah long. somehow goes blind in the next couple of years, <laughs> then I will be better. <laughs> yes, exactly. That is the way to go. If Maybe go blind and quit golf. Let's hope that. I mean, Maybe. I might quit golf. Let's quit golf before going blind. Hopefully, going blind doesn't happen. That'd be kind of tough. <laughs> I'm not trying to speak that into existence. Yeah, I'm just go. saying that's the only way that I'll be better. <laughs> Short answer: I'm better, but it may not last forever. Maybe we will see where it goes. What's your favorite club? In the in the back. That depends on day to day. I kind of driver is honestly probably my favorite club. Gotcha. Not, used driver. to be my five wood, but not as much now. What's your favorite club? My favorite club is probably my four iron, mm-hmm. or I have this special club. It's a one iron. Yes. It gets me out of danger sometimes. Yeah. But it also puts me into danger. Trace. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but I use it a good bit because I always hit it into the trees. So it's good to hit it under the tree. Exactly. Yeah. You hit it out of the tree. You so get yourself my... in trouble and get it out of trouble. Right. So. Do you have anything else to add, Adam? I don't think so, but just thanks for having me on. That yeah, was a lot of fun. You for, thank you for joining me on the Talk by Grace podcast. This was the first edition of a QA. It's the first time I've ever done anything like this. We've had a few conversation episodes, and I hope to do more in the future. So I'm sure we'll have Adam. I'll have Adam back on the podcast Good. at some point in the, in the future. So thank you, Adam, for coming on the podcast. Thank you. And I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. I hope that you were edified and got some encouragement from all this and maybe got some help for your life. But Adam, thank you for being with me on the podcast, and we'll see you next time.